Um, saw some new, uh, new faces coming in when we were getting started this morning, so I thought, well, maybe I should let you know a little bit about um, what to expect here in the next uh, couple of hours um, that we're <laughs> going to be sharing the message. Um, now, I uh, uh, was just thinking about this, that uh, when I, you know, preach and, and uh, I have a hard time even saying it that way, it's hopefully it's God's message and it's not just a sermon, but um, it, it's not a speech, it is an interaction. Um, I'm not preaching to you, I am trying to have a conversation with you. Um, so I, I love to hear, you know, the amens and the, the you know, uh, the kinds of, you know, the no, that's not right kind of things. And <laughs> whatever, whatever you know, comes to your heart at that moment, that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, it, the Holy Spirit working through a, a preacher is one thing. Um, but the Holy Spirit has to work through the listener as well. Um, if, if there's only a spirit-filled message, but not a spirit-filled receiver, um, nothing will happen. And so the interaction that we have as we uh, share the message, it really is important. Um, I, I depend on it to kind of see where you're at and if I can continue on or if I need to you know, back up a step or, or whatever we need to do. But um, I, I do encourage you to just um, let the Holy Spirit work through the listening process. Amen? Amen. Um, so uh, a month ago or so, a little over a month ago, we were in the book of Revelation and we were talking about Jesus as revealed uh, in Revelation as the glorified, um, the risen, uh, the, the magnified, revealed author of life and really the the uh, controller, if you want to say it that way, of the future. And uh, that, those messages after Easter were not really about Revelation. Uh, we were just looking at Revelation's uh, revealing of Jesus. Uh, but all the Bible uh, is really about Jesus, amen? That's, that's what, and, and what that message is through Scripture um, is two things. One is that uh, we are in desperate need uh, of, for God and uh, that we have access to God um, through Jesus. He is the embodiment of grace. And so as we look at Revelation, what we're going to see is that grace is still in operation. But... How many of you read Revelation? Okay. What you know and understand about where this world is headed is that uh, what Revelation reveals is that once grace has been largely rejected, by a sinful humanity that 
needs God. Once, revel- once, once grace has been rejected, what's left? Only judgment. What we're going to be studying is um, the consequence of a world that rejects grace. It's a scary thing. Um, it's a difficult thing to, um, to talk about. If you have people in your life that you care about who don't know the Lord, um, this is not a pleasant thing to share. It's heartbreaking uh, because the gift of grace is so available. The, uh, the opportunity to have eternity to have blessing, to have peace, to have joy, to have hope, to have confidence in... How many of you know that you're going to die? Okay, I, I'm just about past the halfway point in my life here. I don't know how long I'm going to live. If I live to be 90, I'm, I'm halfway there, okay? We're, we're speeding toward eternity, whether... The end of days happens within our lifetime or, or not. Eternity is, is long. It's forever. Um, to take that for granted and to step into eternity unprepared, I, I can't imagine. So, what we're going to see in Revelation is an unfolding of what happens when grace is shunned. And the first step is that God says, okay, Satan, have your way with this world. You think it's dark now. Um, it's going to get darker. But we're, we want to take a step back from Revelation um, we're gonna, we're di- digging into the details on Wednesday night. I encourage you to come back this Wednesday. We started last week. You can go back and listen to it. Um, some of the details of end times. Uh, Rick McGue is sharing with us on Wednesday nights. Um, on Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at the bigger picture. Revelation uh, 2. No, Revelation 1, verse uh, 3. says this, says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear, who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Uh, when you say those who keep it, those who, the NIV translates it, uh, take it to heart. Let's take to heart what God is trying to warn and encourage and share and reveal uh, about uh, his plan for this world. Okay, uh, we take it seriously. Um, it is uh, uh, one of those books where we don't take lightly, and we really are cautious not to uh, over um, exaggerate. It's hard to do, but Jesus says that uh, they, those who um, take away anything from this book, he'll take away. Uh, the tree of life, those who add anything to it, he'll add the 
the plagues described in this book. Anybody ever read that before? What that means to me is we come to the book of Revelation um, very seriously. We share its message um, as openly as we can because it is a last warning to this world of what's coming. So, all right, we're ready to have some fun. <laughs> Let's stand and read Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And Lord, we uh, are just stepping into the realm of, of your uh, revelation, the words that uh, you have proclaimed for all eternity, but uh, in these last 2,000 years to share with humanity an invitation. An invitation to uh, flee the, the danger of our own soul, Lord, that we were born with. We are inclined to, to do wrong. We uh, misunderstand. We desire things that are not your will and you so graciously rescue us out of that Lord by trusting us with the message of Jesus Christ that you would declare there's hope that we don't have to bury our head in the sand we don't have to ignore the fact that there are problems, not just in the world, but with ourselves, and, and yet you are willing to love us, accept us, receive us, change us, empower us, give us a new destiny, a new plan, a purpose. You uh, give us a new heart. You give us a new mind. From the inside out, Lord, you just you change that sinful creature into somebody you're willing to call a son or a daughter that has no fear of condemnation, <laughs> more than conquerors even. We praise you, Lord, for that, and we don't want to take it for granted. We pray not only would we not take it for granted, that we would be bold in sharing the truth of it, the truth of Jesus to this world. Help us stand on your word and help us to live by the power of your spirit. Help us to take your warnings seriously and we'll do it all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we start here, I don't know if you question uh, why we're starting right here in chapter 6. 
Um, and the reason is because this is the uh, revealing of, uh, many of us would interpret this to be the Antichrist. Um, in Revelation 19, we see Jesus coming on a white horse. We see him coming as the true conqueror, the one who um, will inevitably okay, rule the world. But this first seal opened reveals a uh, fake, a, an imposter uh, who kind of looks like uh, the, the one who is coming, but he's not. He has great power. He's going to do great damage. Um, he's going to uh, come conquering and to conquer. He is also, um, and this is a hard thing to, to understand, but he is also coming uh, according to the will of God. Okay? This begins what we understand as the tribulation. Now, let me back up just a step and give you a, a brief overview of the timeline. Um, Rick Mew talked about this on Wednesday, um, and I'll just reiterate a little bit of what he said and, and what we maybe already are very well aware of. Daniel gives us a very clear um, picture or understanding of the time frame of the tribulation because he talks about a 70-year or a 70-week period, and so uh, each week is seven years, Okay. The first 69 week of years, 483, uh, thank you, Kurt. He's our math genius. 483 years from what Daniel had talked about in terms of um, the covenant and the uh, ability to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, and that declaration went out from then to... Uh, the time that Jesus died on the cross, seven or 483 years exactly, and you could even do um, a great deal of study on this and find that it potentially is even to the day. Literally fulfilled. The first 69 years, or weeks of years, 483 years, was fulfilled. Prophetically, you look back and you say, um, in great detail, literally, God declared this was going to happen. Now there's a gap of grace. What that means is that in the time period that we've lived in, the Holy Spirit has been moving and working to uh, empower people like you and me to receive the message of the gospel uh, so that we can become the church saved by grace. But then there's going to be a definitive point when this last week of years, so seven years, is going to end all of what we see in this world. Revelation goes into great detail of what that final seven years looks like. You follow me? Now, what we understand is that that seven-year period of what we call tribulation has to be jump-started somehow. What jump-starts that time? What jump-starts that, that uh, situation? Um, for that, 
it's important and helpful to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you understand First uh, and Second Thessalonians, um, the return of Christ is talked about more frequently in those two books than, than potentially in all the other uh, books of the New Testament combined. Okay, so there's a lot of information here uh, in those two books about what's going to happen. Second Thessalonians says, uh, starting chapter two, verse three: No one, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Are we in a rebellion now? We're starting to see that. We've been seeing that. Um, It's not as bad as it will be, though, okay? And it says, and the the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's not happened yet. That's the Antichrist, the son of perdition. That's That's the figure that will come into play and to power and be revealed as as the conqueror to conquer on the white horse as we understand it. The beast, empowered by the the spirit of Satan, um, all of those things, okay? That person has not been revealed yet. We may have suspicions. Are they living on the earth right now? They're not revealed, okay? It says, this is uh, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. So we believe the temple of God uh, in Jerusalem will be rebuilt, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. So there is a restraint of this Antichrist, and there's a restraint and a holding back somewhat of the darkness of our world. Okay, what is that? So he says, verse 7, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Sinful man doing what he wants in the world, rebelling and rejecting the truth of God. That's the mystery of lawlessness. It's already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so, the Holy Spirit restraining that, until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So did you follow that? The Holy Spirit, the one who restrains the darkness, restrains the Antichrist, will at one point be taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, the Antichrist will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. That's jumping to Revelation chapter 19. So, without going any further into that, let me help you to just understand something here. That passage, combined with other passages that talk about believers meeting the Lord in the air, meeting those who have died before, but don't die themselves, that that event we call the rapture. You've heard of the rapture? Now, the rapture is, in my opinion, okay, take it or leave it, but in my opinion is an inarguable event. It will definitely happen. What we oftentimes debate is when will it happen? Will it happen before the tribulation, in the middle of it, at the end of it? When when will the Christian people who have the Holy Spirit, who are devoted followers of Jesus, when will they go to heaven without dying? That's 
what's up for grabs. You may believe, like I do, that that will happen before, right before the tribulation. Because the, the thing that restrains, the person that restrains is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in the world, but he also works, most importantly, in some sense, in and through you and me. Are you a Christian today? Yes. You have the Holy Spirit. Yes. He's empowering you, living in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is a reality of, of how we, when we trust the truth of God and have a relationship with God and have received the, the redeeming power of Jesus Christ and are walking in the Holy Spirit, we, we are restraining the darkness. So there's this uh, belief, this understanding, this hope that the rapture is going to need to happen in order to pave the way for this Antichrist to come. That's one idea. Now, there's another idea that... I don't know if it's in disagreement with the rapture or if it's just part of it or, or what. Okay, let me just tell you something that's going on in our world. The restrainer, the Holy Spirit, um, being taken out of the way doesn't mean that he's completely gone. This is a hard thing for, I don't know, I... I don't know why this is an emotional issue, but the other thing that can and what we see happening is that the church becomes apostate. And that word may mean nothing to you. What that means is that the church no longer believes the word of God, preaches the gospel, declares uh, who God is honestly, uh, calls sin, sin, um, and is standing for the truth, con contending for it. There are some good churches in the world today. Um, there are a lot of problems in a lot of churches. And problem is and it comes down and I hate to say it it comes down to a lot of pastors there's a temptation to want to be popular rather than to be truthful we and I'm going to just say we um, have to be on the front lines as pastors preachers, proclaimers of God's truth, we have to declare the truth of God's word, no matter how unpopular it is, with our culture. We want to grow churches. And uh, sometimes that desire to grow churches gets in the way of growing disciples. 
And so what happens, there's, there's a lot of things we could talk about here, okay, with, with churches, but um, when we water down the gospel, when we don't tell people the truth about sin, when we, we don't um, share that people are lost and that they need Jesus Christ, then um, we're in real danger. And it, it breaks my heart. On one hand, it's like, oh, wow, that's really great when people say, you know, I, come, I came to First Baptist and, and uh, um, it's one of the first times in a long time that I've actually heard the Bible preached. It's like, well, that's a nice compliment, but it, it's, you know how concerning that is? That uh, you, you should be able to go to any church in this land. You should always be hearing the, the truth about who God is and what his word says and what the gospel is and how to receive Jesus. And I mean, how many times have, have I heard that until we you know, came to this church, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that I need to receive Jesus. I, I never talked about salvation. Never really talked about the gospel. I don't know what, what are we talking about. And so... We, when you slide into this mode of just trying to give people what they want, um, and the Bible talks about this, tickling people's ears, you know, that kind of thing, and there's a temptation there because people will fight you on sin issues. They will absolutely argue with you about what is sin and what's not sin, what I can do, what I can't do, what I should and, it's not my opinion, guys. <laughs> Just, this is what God has revealed and said about what sin is. And we're just going to declare that because um, what happens is that when people reject grace, and they put themselves into the realm of um, danger because they've been given over to Satan. We lie to ourselves, okay? We lie to ourselves about what sin is. We find ourselves in rebellion, and now God says, if you want that, you can have it, but you're going to have everything that comes along with it. All the pain, all the shame, all the destruction, all the death, all the baggage, all the turmoil. Okay, you want it, you can have it. You are a, um, a creature who's been made in the image of God. And what that means is that when you were made in the image of God, he placed in you an inherent ability, okay, an inherent right to choose. You and I are trusted by God to choose to accept him or reject him. And he's not going to make you accept him. He invites you to have a relationship with him, but he does not make you accept him. And so what that means is that if you say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, I don't care what you say, then now you've put yourself in the realm of not just disobedience, but rebellion. And when you're in the realm of rebellion, then what happens is that God says, if you want it, you can have it. You can have all that that means. And this is, this is what we see the world 
kind of approaching at this point is that there's so much rebellion in the world, rejecting the truth of God and the truth, truth of, of how he made us, the truth of what is right and wrong, and just rejecting that so completely that God says, if you want that, then here are all the consequences that come with it. And now you've removed yourself from God's protection and you've put yourself into the realm of Satan's power, influence, his control. I don't know if you believe me yet. Okay, let me just show you a couple things in Scripture that give us the doctrine here. Okay, uh, Luke chapter uh, 22, 31. Jesus talking to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, that was his actual name, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Um, he says, but in verse 32, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What's going on here is that Peter is going to deny Jesus. Remember that? Three times he denies him, not even knowing him. He's in rebellion. And if Jesus hadn't prayed for his soul, he would have ended up like Judas. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this is the result of uh, sexual immorality. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 4 says, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, Paul talking to them, not talking disembodied, he's just saying, my teaching, okay, my influence is with you. The power of our Lord Jesus um, you are deliver, to deliver this man who's committed this sin to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be too much. You don't hear it talked about you don't really hear it very often. What's happening though is that when you reject grace then you put yourself um, in a place where you don't I knew I was running with the wrong crowd. I began to do what they were doing. 
took me a while. Uh, I actually resisted for a while, um, but eventually it kind of wore down my good sense, and, and I began to do drugs and party and drink like, like they were doing. Um, and for whatever reason, it took a hold of me like, like nothing else. I mean, I, I became so immersed in addiction. Uh, it, it, was, it was like a daily thing. It was everyday thing. And uh, what happened, though, okay, I grew up, my dad was a pastor. Went, I was still going to youth group, still, still going to church. Do you think I knew better? <laughs> I, uh, I became a liar. The people that I ran with knew what was going on, but if you, if you didn't run with us, I mean, I, I hid it, and I, not only did I hide it, but, I mean, I was willing to lie and swear up and down, and absolutely, and, and it, maybe it's hard to imagine, but I really did fool most people. I really did. They didn't know. They were shocked that uh, I was um, a druggie, basically. And that deception, though, see, you, you don't just, you're not just deceived, you become a deceiver. You're so uh, overwhelmed with this lie, you begin to believe the lie. And the next thing that happens, so when Satan gets a hold of you and you become not just deceived, but a deceiver and a liar, is that when people um, begin to peel back that lie, you get angry. I mean, I... I would be very angry if somebody questioned me about it. Like, you know, how dare you? How dare you think that about me or suggest that about me? Or it just, and it would be um, a real problem. I, the, the sin of hiding your, your deception and becoming a liar then kind of popped out in anger. When, when you're overwhelmed with anger, I'm not going to say everybody who's got anger issues is dealing with this. Um, but you may want to take a deep look. I have not struggled with anger since I became a believer. And one of the reasons why I think this has happened to me is because early on, and this was not anything I even thought or planned or chose. I was just something that I just did. I, I told my dad, when I had come to the Lord and began to get my life cleaned up, I sat down with my dad. Um, I was in college, and, and he had been—he was in the area, and we sat down and had lunch, and I just told him. Um, I'd been on drugs for the last year and a half, but the Lord was working on me, and, and I was <laughs> convicted about it, and I, I wanted to get better, and I wanted to— I mean, he was severely disappointed, I can tell you that. Um, but it released me from that deception. It released me from it. And, and it not only released me from the deception, but the anger that comes from trying to hide. The gospel frees you from having to hide your past, hide your sin, even the sin that you're currently in. You don't have to hide it. 
You just have to reject it. <laughs> you say, I confess that I've done this and I'm doing this and I'm, I'm having a hard time with this, I'm struggling with that, whatever it might be, I'm, I confess that. I'm working on it. I'm giving that to the Lord. I'm not better all the way or I'm still kind of working through, you know, how much of a hold it has on me or whatever you might want to say. But we don't deny or reject the fact that that sin is, is in your life. You just call it out. You bring the light into it so that it has no more power to make you a liar. And, and here's one of the reasons I think maybe the church is sliding toward apostasies because we're so careful that people wouldn't see that we're maybe not as perfect as we want them to think we are. We're hiding what's going on. We don't want anybody to find out. And we're angry at each other and, and problems erupt within the church because those things inevitably come to light. But we're offended by somebody saying that you have this issue or that issue. And so we Attack instead of just <laughs> confess. You want Satan to be removed of his power, then you have to openly confess your sin to one another. We, what we say is, well, you need to confess it to God. That's where your forgiveness comes from. Amen? But how many of us are keeping our sins secret because we don't want anybody to find out what's going on in our, our life for real. We keep confessing it to God, trying to get forgiveness, but we're still locked down because we won't confess it to somebody else and just say, you know what, yeah, I struggle with that. I struggle with my mouth. I struggle with pornography. I struggle with lying. I struggle with greed. Whatever it is. I mean, you just, I struggle with it. It's, Call it out. Take the power away from it. Here's what uh, 2 Thessalonians continues and, and says. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because... They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. We, we have to, if we're going to avoid the consequence of rebellion, then we have to love the truth. It, it's why, by the grace of God, I, I, I pray that he will continue to give me the courage to call sin, sin. Because when, when we love the truth, we, we, we don't fall into the trap. Amen? But here's the wonderful thing is that even in the tribulation, even through the tribulation, just read the next chapter, Revelation chapter 7, and you find that 144,000 uh, of God's people, the Jewish people, come to know uh, Jesus Christ and come to understand grace. And what we interpret that to, to mean is that the entire Jewish nation is going to come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive the Messiah that they had rejected historically. Okay? Go back and read Romans chapter 11. It seems like that's pretty clear teaching. Somehow, through the tribulation, because here's what happens. When grace is rejected and sin is preferred, then God gives you over to Satan, but that is not an, uh, an 
a removal of the opportunity for grace. It is a teaching opportunity that you learn that I don't like where this is taking me. I, I hate where this is taking me. I can't stand where this is taking me. Where's my exit? And Jesus Christ is the only exit, and the Jewish people as a whole are going to come to know that Jesus Christ is their hope. And then we keep reading chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, so innumerable from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And what we interpret that to mean is that the work of the 144,000 or the entire Jewish nation as evangelists to the world during the tribulation, okay, in the seven-year period, during the tribulation, winning people to Jesus Christ, that innumerable, innumerable amount of, of Gentiles or other people who are not Jewish will come to know Jesus Christ. Grace is still an opportunity, an option, even in the tribulation. Unfortunately, the majority of the world will reject that, gnashing their teeth, furious with God. But some will be rescued out of it. And here's the bottom line <laughs> picture for us, is that... Um, it is vitally important that we contend for the faith. It is maybe the most important thing in our life is that we stand on the truth. And the truth is there is a holy God. Man is sinful. There is one Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The process to come to salvation is simple. Confession, repentance, receiving of Jesus, and then now I'm in a relationship with him. If I reject that, I put myself into a place where Satan has control. But even then, we're going to keep proclaiming the truth and calling people out. Amen? And we do that by living it. Not just declaring it, but living it. As we do that, you need to find a cup. There's cups right in front of you in the chairs, some tables scattered around uh, the sanctuary here. Give you a moment and find that. I want to tell you something here that uh, I don't often, don't always take it this seriously, but uh, I think today uh, I, we need to take it really seriously. That when we observe, receive communion, the Lord's table, the bread and the cup, you know that we're declaring not just who Jesus is, but who Jesus is to me. I am professing my faith when I receive communion. And what the Bible says is that um, you would be better off not take communion than to take it in an unworthy manner. 
Meaning, if, if you don't trust Jesus Christ, this is a dangerous thing to eat and drink. The Bible says you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Here's why. Only under the, the grace of Jesus' blood do I have free access to God. When I don't have that, then I have put myself under the law. I'm going to be judged according to the law. So if I've lied one time, anybody ever done that? Ever had an impure thought? Ever stolen anything? I'm guilty under the law. The Bible says that if you break even one law, you've broken the whole thing. You don't want to be judged under the law, people. This, this lie that my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. Okay, you don't go to any court in any land and have them weigh out your good deeds and bad deeds. <laughs> they say, did you break the law? Yes, you're guilty. Where do you think that comes from? It comes from the lawgiver. So when I declare Jesus, what I'm saying is, I have received grace. I'm under the covering of his blood. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to give you just an opportunity because here's the amazing, wonderful thing is that even if you haven't to this point today received grace, you can receive it right now. You can receive it immediately and in this moment instantly be saved, cleansed, and forgiven. Okay? So I'm going to give us a moment. Before we take the bread, and I'm just going to encourage you, bring your heart to the Lord. Say, God, whatever's in the way of me and you, would you remove it by the power of Jesus' name and by the power of his blood? I'm going to just let it be quiet for a moment, and then I'll pray for us. Spirit prays on our behalf even. But I, I do know and I do believe there are so many, even in this room right now, who need some words, who need some confession, some opportunity, some way to just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. And maybe it's just as simple as that. I confess I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. Lord Jesus, would you save me? Thank you that uh, your word guarantees that when that is spoken even in the heart it is effective no doubt no question 
we confess Jesus, we will be saved. Thank you for that. You made it so easy because you did all the hard work. You died on the cross. You paid the price, Lord. You lived under the law, fulfilling the law that we might have access to grace. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Take just a moment and peel back that cover for the cup. Let me tell you, this has no ability to save you. You don't take this and get saved. You take this because you are saved. But it's a wonderful experience to know that because of what Jesus did, I can confidently declare his blood it's been infused into my body somehow and I'm different amen so Lord Jesus again we thank you for your blood you poured it out not just that day 2,000 years ago but every person who trusts in you has received a blood transfusion they are a new creature in Christ. So today we declare that. We receive it. We believe it. We trust it. And we celebrate it in Jesus' name. Amen. After the meal, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the covenant in my blood. It's a new covenant. Take and drink ye all of it. Amen. I want to invite you, our praise band is going to come up. We're going to sing a closing song. I pray this is a song of uh, confession, celebration, uh, rejoicing. Even though we've uh, talked about some difficult things this morning, the great thing is that um, God's desire is to bless. Amen. His invitation is for blessing. It's only when we reject that that we see these other things happen. So if you're in Christ today, then this is our song of celebration. Let's stand and sing.